And the, the proof of it, the proof of it is you have the head of Catholic safeguarding, Steve Ashley. And he wrote to me uh, just a few weeks ago. And this is what he said about ICSA. He said, uh, ICSA was obviously put in place with the intention of dealing with this, this being historic abuse. But quite honestly, I think they were overwhelmed. And in the end, they presented their final report and it is difficult to know what it all achieved. I don't know what the answer is. So if this is the head of the Catholic safeguarding, the CEO, if he's saying, I don't know what to do, um, which I would say on one level is quite pathetic, but at least it's honest. Hi, I'm Naomi Murphy, and this is the Locked Up Living podcast, where we talk with a wide range of people about harsh aspects of institutional life. We also explore some of the ways to overcome them and to grow and develop. I'm David Jones. So join us every Wednesday morning, six o'clock UK time for a fresh podcast. So we're really excited about today's guest. He'll be a familiar name to many of you. Pat Mills has been a successful writer and editor of popular culture from the age of 20, and he's developed comics, novels, science fiction, film, and game work. Pat's best known as the developer of Judge Dredd and writer of Charlie's War, which is a long running anti-war saga that sells throughout Europe. All of Pat's stories are about fighting abuse of authority figures, but we're not only interested in Pat's artistic endeavors. Pat would also be described as a whistleblower. He's got a really insightful grasp of the structure of the Roman Catholic Church and how its highly organised structure has enabled a network of paedophiles to operate within it. He's working hard to expose this and make it more transparent to others. And whilst I have a strong feeling this conversation is going to be shocking and depressing in places, it's really good to be able to welcome you on, Pat. Hi. Good morning. Hi, Pat. It's really good. Hi. Really good to meet you. And um, I've been fascinating reading up about your work. Uh, yeah, this morning, and uh, particularly interested in uh, Charlie's War, which sounds like a really worthwhile and fascinating uh, series of work that you did. Um, and we'll probably mention that maybe later on. But Pat, can you tell us how you came to discover that writing and animation was your was your thing? How did you get into it? Um, well, um, somewhere around about the age of eight, uh, I decided I wanted to be a writer. Um, and the reason I say that is because I can remember at the age of nine uh, being jealous that some eight-year-old had got a book published and thought, Christ, I've got to catch up with them. And I um, uh, submitted my sort of first uh, uh, story to BBC Radio at 10. So, yeah, it goes back a long, long way. Um, I'm not quite sure um, what sparked it off as an idea, as something I should do. Um, and in fact, it's got me curious now. And I, um, because I tend to probe memories uh, quite a lot, and usually with some success, sometime after this, uh, after this video, um, I shall probably look at that and find out why, <laughs> you know, I, I've, most of my childhood was a blank until I started sort of um, uh, probing the memories and the answers do actually come up. So that will be the next one on my list. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm still curious 
so I'm because I'm, I'm trying to imagine what kind of school did you go to that gave you this kind of opening for your imagination um well uh typical uh catholic schools really uh catholic primary school uh that i think was um uh, quite basic shall we say um and then um uh, a rather posh uh catholic grammar school run by the de la salle brothers um st joseph's college in ipswich um but long before I, I got to that secondary school. I, I was very much thinking in terms of uh, of uh, writing and so on. And uh, um, if if I'm fumbling for the answer, perhaps I can give you uh, an example of, of of how my how my memory uh, works and did work. Um, so initially, my childhood was a complete blank until, or more or less blank until somewhere in my mid-40s I decided to uh, open Pandora's box and was a little startled by what I discovered. It's, uh, it's not uncommon for uh, survivors of abuse to, to do this, as I'm sure you know. Um, but then, uh, sort of moving on from there, even in my mid-40s, I was still... I could actually see the mechanics of how I erased the past. I'll give you an example. I had, uh, I remember coming across it, I had um, uh, the story I submitted to the BBC when I was 10. So I had it in a cute little notebook with a uh, sort of a Bambi on the front or something. And uh, I threw it away. Now, so in other words, I threw it away consciously in my mid forties. And similarly, uh, I threw away uh, a journal I kept. Uh, fortunately, I transcribed a lot of it. I had a journal I kept uh, when I was 16, um, uh, which, you know, for, for, for anyone, I mean, it's like a photo album, it's, it's gold. Um, and once again, I threw it away. So it's that, um, it's part of the technique of dealing with the past that you want to put it behind you. And so you, um, you dispose of any physical aspect of it as well. Uh, and that, that probably goes for photos and so forth. So I got very, so when people say to me, oh, have you got any photos of when you were nine or something? I go, oh, I'll have a look, but I, I don't think so. And uh, it's a I think it's a defense technique. In other words, you've got to block out the past. But of course, as a writer, you're endlessly curious. So you keep on digging into the past. So there's a rather a confusing paradox there for you, I'm afraid. Well, it, it, it's it's a very dense little account that you've given there, I think. We'll have to try and uh, unpick it a bit in the next uh, hour. But you've already mentioned two Catholic schools. Uh, and I think you, what you said was uh, something like, um, I went to a, a normal Catholic school. Well, someone like me doesn't know what a normal Catholic school is like at all. Um, <laughs> so, so perhaps you could explain that to us. But, 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 um, so yeah. Uh, well, when and when I say an, a normal Catholic school, what I mean is a a, a rather typical, brutal um, uh, school, uh, really just aimed at very ordinary kids, but making sure that um, you, uh, what shall we say, obey the rules of the Catholic Church. And uh, I, I think when I was introduced. Uh, um, 
I think Naomi introduced me as a whistleblower, um, which f dates back to the age of seven. And uh, that's uh, one of those memories that uh, did come up um, once I started digging and it didn't take very long. Um, well, like any kid, um, well, not any kid, but a lot of kids who have been uh, messed around with by priests, um, they're probably going to act out in some way or another. And uh, my particular way was to be a whistleblower. So I would talk to anyone and everyone about what had happened. And uh, so at the age of seven, uh, maybe eight, uh, I can remember the headmistress, uh, the nun, uh, getting me by the throat and basically saying, you know, if you keep on telling your wicked lies, um, you will you will go to hell, etc., etc. Um, and I suppose in those situations, you either have one of two reactions. You either, um, uh, I don't know, suppress it all and back down, or you think you're going to fight back. Uh, and in my case. Um, and I'm sure there's an awful lot of kids who, who, who would have fought back as well. I, I wouldn't like to think that there was anything particularly unique uh, about me. And um, so I, I know I'm on record uh, as being a whistleblower from that from that age because I was talking about it, drawing what, what had happened and things like that. I'm, I must have been a bit of a nightmare for them. And uh, so I would describe... Um, all that as a typical Catholic primary school. This kind of stuff is not unique to uh, to my hometown, Ipswich. Uh, this sort of stuff was going on uh, all over the country. Um, and it's uh, maybe some more than others, uh, but it, it was very typical. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was my um, uh, typical primary school. And uh, I... <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I then went on to a, a, a typical uh, Catholic um, uh, grammar school. And again, um, my experiences there uh, were hardly unique. There's possibly one difference, um, which is um, essentially, I think there was a, a, a chain of abuse from the age of six right through until the time when I left home. Uh, I left home at the age of 16, which is quite young. And I think that speaks for itself uh, as to as to why um, my mother was um, a devout Irish Catholic widow now uh, and with, with mental health problems. So in that era and perhaps even today, uh, the church's policy, um, which is utter hypocrisy, uh, they actually say we're, we're here to help uh, children and widows and um, I think they still say that today. And um, what I would say to them is get the hell away from them because you are a threat to them. Even today, children are in danger um, from the Catholic Church. And I, I've written a lot about this and so on. But to come back to my fairly unique experience, um, I, I think I was indentured into the Catholic Church and my brother as well. Uh, who's a few years older, um, I think we were property. And so that what that meant was that um, whilst there would be, um, 
there must have been some up aspects to it. I mean, the, the grooming and presence and attention and so on. And I think that would be there as well. But essentially it was um, a continuum of abuse, whether it was Catholic priests, uh, Catholic laity, which included um, Catholic female laity, um, and uh, finally uh, De La Salle, uh, brothers. Um, that sounds like a hell of a lot. And, and every so often when, when I kind of chalk them up, I, I have to consult, uh, I look at books by other survivors and uh, th there's enough of us out there who've had similar experiences. Because it, it is weird when you get a situation where, well, not weird, I mean, it's tragic, it's horrible, where, where one person can be completely broken by one awful uh, abusive encounter. And, you know, they, they might spend the rest of their lives in therapy and so on. And, and so when I would come across these accounts, when I was really, um, you know, looking at everything in my mid-40s, um, I would think, well, all these terrible things couldn't happen to me because why aren't I in a padded cell? And um, eventually, after a while, you, you do make sense of it. But there's a lot of unpacking. It was a lot of unpacking to do. And um, I, I'm touching wood here. As I say, I think I've probably um, unpacked the majority of it now. Thank you. So you, you were saying Pat, that you spoke out that one of the ways that you responded was that you spoke out did anyone listen to you <laughs> not, not at all not at all uh, well there's one exception uh but uh um i mean it was i mean it'd be it hopefully it will be different today i pray it is for children but in the 50s um adults generally were in a uh, a position of absolute authority and superiority so they knew best and a standard mantra which you'll come across endlessly uh, with abuse is um oh you're you're, you're making things up you're exaggerating etc etc and in my case uh, it was um you're telling terrible lies and i can even remember uh at the age of i think it was 10 having a long conversation with myself um quite a thoughtful one which was i've really got to stop telling lies this is causing me problems and i i can remember that part of it um but what i can't recall is um how i decided to ignore that advice i'd given myself and just carried on. I think there were perhaps periods of time where I maybe um, tried acquiescing, which is how the Catholic Church works. It works on discipline, control, and punishment. Uh, there, there, there's certain sinister aspects of it which are rarely ever enter the media. So I'll mention just one now, which is the Oaths of Allegiance. Um, which are a form of mind control. Uh, and there's a, a series of them which continue into adult life. So, for example, if uh, someone was taking a, a job at maybe a Catholic hospital or, or something like that, they might actually have to take an oath of allegiance tailored to fit uh, that, that entity. Um, 
so to come back to uh, <laughs> did anybody um, uh, take my side? Um, I think I think they may have. Well, one of the one of the problems is, is of course, they never tell you as a kid. You know, they, they might say, "Oh, I'll have a word with your mother" or something, and then nothing will happen. Um, but perhaps the only example I can think of with any um, real clarity uh, would be this one, where um, I was uh, a Boy Scout, and so I was really looking forward to um, uh, to being a Boy Scout. I had the cap and the, you know, it's a Catholic um, organization uh, near the church, St Pancras, and um, so the official record goes something like this that uh, um, I was there for one week and then I never went again and there was no explanation for why and that that's what I remembered until my mid-40s and then I you know sat back thought about it reflected on it and the memories came flooding back and what it was was that there was an abuse um, I mean the the, um, uh, the priest involved Father Wace was a um, uh, and particularly, uh, I think I would say wicked abuser. And I don't know if there are degrees of them, but he was pretty bad. And I told my mother's boyfriend. Now, uh, my mother's boyfriend was uh, uh, an Irish Catholic, so he's very much part of that community. But something happened. And the, the, the best I can recall is that he had words with Father Wace and my days uh, as being a, a cub were curtailed. Now, the frustrating thing for me, and I would like to fantasize, particularly as a writer, uh, that he did a bit more than just have words with Father Wace, because he was quite a vitriolic character. He was um, uh, uh, a very working class Dubliner. Um, and my, my sense is he... Uh, he, he took, uh, what should we say, a went in for physical solutions rather than verbal solutions. But that may be fantasy on my part, maybe because I, I would so desperately have loved to have had a dad, a father figure who does all that. Because that, of course, is at the heart of abuse, which is, you know, I, I often get um, fellow old boys saying, well, nothing ever happened to me. I was fine. That he never didn't. He never approached me. And of course, the answer, which is not as publicised as, and we all know this, but it does need more publicity. Um, abusers only go for vulnerable kids. So if you've got a dad who's a fireman or a boxer or something, they are cowards. They are physical cowards, and they will stay away. So, um, so that was a moment of joy for me, which I'm. I would dearly like to embellish and imagine him bursting into the presbytery and grabbing him by his dog collar and all the rest of it. But that would be fantasy. The hard facts are one, one week I'm at the Cubs, the next week I don't go anymore. And when I ask, why aren't I going to the Cubs anymore? Um, uh, my mother changes the subject. And it, it's sad that they don't actually share with kids. Um, you know, the justice, the revenge, that, that is so necessary. In other words, don't worry, son. I went around and saw him and, um, you know, you know, gave him a headbutt or whatever. Uh, that would be a, a very gratifying memory. But I can imagine it. <laughs> Let's put it that way.
Well, it was such a complex social uh, structure, wasn't it, that everyone was enthralled to, really. But um, so, I mean, just to be clear, Pat, the, the things that you're referring to really were both physical abuse and sexual abuse, were they? Sexual abuse, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I could get quite graphic about it, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, okay, I'll, what shall I say? I'll be indirectly graphic uh, on one example, just, just to sort of give you the idea. Um, uh, there were two priests um, at St Pancras. One was uh, Canon Burroughs and uh, his, um, uh, what do they call him, his... Uh, chaplain is it I think his sidekick uh, was Father Wace and and then later there was another abusive priest uh, uh, when we moved from uh, one area of Ipswich to a council estate in Ipswich so three is a heck of a lot and and to begin with I, I always subscribe to the uh, one rotten apple thing so when the first priest Canon Burroughs came up I thought um, um, I thought to myself um, oh, it's just one rotten apple. I'll do a bit of therapy on this. It's bad luck. So it was quite a it was quite a shock when then the next one came up and then the next one. And you start to realise that this is a pattern. And then you also realise that it's not unique to Ipswich, uh, despite what they say. This is a this is commonplace. This is this is part of what that religion actually stands for. But to come back to without being overly graphic. Um, in those days, um, uh, you had school milk. This was pre-Thatcher, obviously. So you had your little half, I think it's a half pint of milk. And, you know, I, I won't focus on it now because it will actually bring up the, the feelings. It's like it leaves you with this one memorandum, this, this visual memorandum of, of what happened. And so that... Most of us, if you drink this uh, milk, right, um, you just put it to your lips and that's probably the, the right, the proper way to, to drink milk out of a bottle. But there was one girl who uh, engulfed the whole, um, uh, the top of the bottle with her lips. So she's, it's right in her mouth. And whenever I saw her do that, uh, I, I, even now I can feel that, you know, it's, uh, uh, and that kind of confirmation of uh, uh, some kind of oral sex, one way or the other, um, was the phrase I used as a child. You know, so I'm eight, I think, at that time. And the phrase I used when I saw her doing drinking in this rather perfectly innocent way for her, but to me it looked utterly grotesque and horrible, was... Uh, boggy's milk. So that was my phrase for, and if you think about it, that's that's what um, that's what any eight-year-old, if he was asked to describe the consequences of oral sex, he probably would say something like "dirty milk," "boggy's milk." I mean, it's horrible, really. Um, so yeah. Um, it, 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 this idea also that priests and the Catholic Church even today says often, you know, it's all a little bit of harmless fun or tickling or whatever. This is all nonsense. Um, 
you know, there was there was far more to it than that. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll probably leave it at that one graphic example, but there are others I could give which have um, just similarly, actually quite awful, absolutely awful. Yeah, thank you, thank you for that, uh, Pat. So, I mean, clearly that explains why it was that you kind of escaped when you were 16 rather than uh, staying any longer. Ab absolutely. It was, um, uh, and it was not an easy process because um, um, there, there was a, a whole complex chain of finances as well. Um, which comes down to this in summary and of course anything to do with money takes a lot of unpacking uh, but in total I mean we were um, as poor as church mice you know we lived on a council house uh, council estate had, had very little money uh, and yet my brother and I went to a very posh um, Catholic grammar school uh, called St Joseph's and we were there uh, in total between us for nine years so you know as in all detective stories you know follow the money and the implications of that there's no such thing as a free lunch and uh, I would occasionally um, uh, grill an aging relative on where did the money come from what how was you know how, who paid for us and uh, the euphemism uh, was well you know the church the church wanted to help you well um there's a lot of poor catholic kids <laughs> um why would they help me and what was the price and the, the, the price was being part of this uh pattern of abuse and um which ultimately um uh concluded in my case around the age of 13 um, uh, to become a priest and um, it was I think it was put to me and the trouble is that they use so many um, so much coded language there's so much smoke and mirrors around the way the Catholic Church behaves that you, you, you it often needs decoding um, but anyway um, if I became a priest um, uh, my education would be um, uh, continued you know it would be paid through to university level uh, and that has applied to other people and so on um and um you know i i was what should we say i was the, the price to pay was too high and so eventually th there was a collision here but it was a very real set of circumstances i was signed up for a seminary um and to go to a seminary at 15, uh, which actually they, they try to deny that they would send kids off to seminaries at 15, a junior seminary, call it what you like. But they did. So, well, I mean, it's it's a haven of deceit. So it, it takes a lot of working out. And um, so that was really the big kickoff. And, um, you know, I, I'm still a little amazed. Um, because I, I would have known that if I didn't comply, that they would stop paying my school fees. Um, I mean, I wasn't a stupid kid, you know, so I knew, you know, by the time you're 15, you know, if you don't do this, there will be this result. And therefore, 
uh, they're working on the fact that you have to acquiesce. And given that I was a SWAT and, um, you know, a high flyer, the thought of um, uh, not backing down, of challenging them with all that would happen, I would have been aware of that. I'm still... I don't see it as me. I see it as a heroic 15-year-old kid, you know. <laughs> I mean, I wish I had his heroism. Do you know what I mean? I, and perhaps I do have a bit, but you know what I mean? It was like, my God, he took a chance. And so what happened was um, he wouldn't back down. He wouldn't. Uh, he was still whistle. I say he, it's me. But, you know, it's a different me, if you like. Uh, he he um, kept on whistleblowing, being a troublemaker and doing this and that and the other. And um, so they stopped paying my school fees and I was thrown out at age 15 before O-levels. So that, that was pretty rough. And, um, you know, as I was working, I mean, obviously I've done a lot of work on this therapy wise. I, I, I think to say I threw money at it is a bit of an understatement. I did a lot of work on it because you just got to get you, it's like getting the poison out. You know what I mean? You, you just got to get it out. You don't want this stuff lurking inside you. Um, and so I, I concluded at the age of 15 that, um, you know, at least I was free. You know what I mean? I might be on the streets, as it were, with, with no prospects, no exams or anything else. But at least I was free. Even that was not true. There was an element of control above and beyond that, which would probably take too long to go into but i had to physically leave home because these pedophile rings that um, the knights of saint columba and uh, catholic laity in general were part of they extended beyond um you know beyond the church in other words they interlinked with other other rings um and so my first job was uh, at 15, uh, was an errand boy riding a trade bike, um, which when you've gone to a posh ground school and you see your mates going down the same street and there you are with this great big basket in front of you on your bike is um, pretty humiliating. I, 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 can still f I can still feel it even now. Um, but, um, you know, it's one... Th the thing that was hard to acknowledge was the was the width of this, which does actually make it sound like some kind of weird conspiracy. But believe me, I have cross-referenced as much of this as I possibly can. Um, so you think, well, being an errand boy, OK, it's bad, but that's it. No, it's not. Because, look, it's like in... In America, if they if someone was messing around with with kids, they might employ them as their poor boy or their gardener or something. It's a well known um, in an office I worked in. They had the photocopying kid, but it's actually the hopefully uh, legal age uh, lover of a of, of this um, gay editor. Uh, so the errand boy was a euphemism because the previous errand boy to me, right, um, had gone to a public school. His accent was posher than mine. It's like, what, what are all these kids doing? You know, doing this rather sort of um, uh, 
nothingy job. So it was a cover. It was used in the context of uh, availability and control. And I think they perhaps they still do it today. They just find it will have some new name that's appropriate to the world we live in today and the technology uh, that we use. Uh, um, so in my era, uh, it was the errand boy. It was, uh, you're on tap. But I, I must have misunderstood you then because I thought that was the first job that you got after being kicked out of school, did I? Yes, so it was. Were, yeah, it was my. So you were escapees, then. Um, well, I, I escaped from school um, only, and to this wretched job as a, as an errand boy, um, and I suppose it was relatively free, um, but that was how my memory cho chose to remember it, and it's only in in my mid forties. Um, that I would get these nagging um, concerns about it, which um, I tried to ignore. It was along the lines of, oh, for God's sake, well, I've done enough work on this. Right, I've got my life figured out from six to 15, put it away. I, I don't want to know anymore. Um, but it was, if you like, subconscious, the soul, call it what you will, it wake me up in the middle of the night and say, you need to look at this. So eventually you get tired of uh, trying to block things, really. Um, and so I had to look at it and I uh, found out a lot about the, uh, the company that I was working for, which um, uh, does actually have um, uh, a link uh, to a uh, paedophile ring. And um, uh, in, in case anyone there is thinking, oh, my God, this is all too fantastic. This is like something out of David Icke. Let me assure you it's not. And that um, some of the evidence around that time when I was an errand boy, uh, which I covered in on my blog, um, um, a cold case cop rang me up and uh, spoke to me for over an hour going over my recollections. In other words, this place I worked at was a bad place, a very bad place. And um, they'd gotten away with it, which uh, is a regret, you know. Um, but as I say, I think cold case cops have got better things to do than than chat to someone like me for a, over an hour unless they feel I really have something to offer them. So my final escape was when uh, when I left home at 16. And uh, and then after that, <laughs> you know, pretty good by comparison. Let's put it that way. So, I know Naomi wants to say something as well, but I'll ask one last point, if I may. Pat, because from the kind of things that you're talking about, the kind of things you're describing, it's hard not to think that really that, you know, there's a part of the Catholic Church organisation which exists to cover up really a massive paedophile ring. Yeah, that, that's, that's it in a nutshell. It, it is um, maybe... Maybe other survivors would not have my curiosity, but perhaps as a writer, and also because stuff I write, I'm kind of trained to research. So everything I, I look at uh, bears it out. And you also have to bear in mind that our perspective in Britain is quite poor. 
In other words, there's, a, there's an awful lot of censorship and media control here. Now, by comparison, uh, in Australia, you will find a lot more hard evidence of the kind of things I'm talking about. I mean, for example, there's an academic study. In fact, I think there's two academic studies and one uh, uh, journalist study, uh, which talks about the nature of uh, um, transgenerational Catholic paedophile rings. They're all interlinked in Australia and so forth. So that, what you're just saying, that is actually confirmed as evidence in Australia. Um, it's also confirmed uh, in the United States. And um, I think there's a fair bit about it in Ireland. I don't know how far they, they make that link to a paedophile ring, but they certainly, um, in Australia, it's, it's, a, uh, it's the case. Britain is different. My God, they really know how to, to censor in, in this country. They really, they're very, very good at it. So our perception is not as strong, not least because we're not uh, we're not a Catholic country in a way that Ireland is, uh, perhaps uh, the United States, if you think of Boston and so on, and Australia, whereas it's spread a little more thinly in the UK. And I think that's worked to the advantage of the Catholic Church. It means it's not such a, a hot story as it would be in Ireland. Yeah, just listening to you talk, I mean, I, I, I was raised Catholic and went to a Catholic school at one point as well. And, and there were plenty of priests who were known to have disappeared to America because and there were lots of rumours about those priests, which at the time we didn't know whether that was just because people found them creepy or whether there was more to it. But listening to you talk about the just how rife um, it was, it's, it, you know, I just wonder how anyone could possibly be in the Catholic laity and not be involved in this so you know what would you have to do to to it sounds like it was very evident so I think it was you... it, it I, I think as in so many other um, um, organizations a lot of it is about money not not exclusively um, but for example the Knights of St Columba um, it's a in my era, it actually was a Masonic organization. It changed its um, um, external attributes uh, towards the end of the 1960s. Um, but yeah, it was, it was kind of Masonic. Um, there are um, female equivalents, uh, Legion of Mary, Catholic Women's League. Certainly in the, in the 1960s, you would have to pay some kind of tithe or some contribution to the Catholic Church. So th there's that financial element. And um, um, I, think, I think what makes it even more complex is I think some of that abuse um, is straightforward, if, there, if, if such a word is appropriate, relatively understandable, shall we say, um, simple abuse. Uh, uh, understandable abuse, if, I'm not even sure that's appropriate phrase to use, but be bear with me. But I think within the context of the Catholic Church, it takes on another dimension. It's a way of uh, controlling sexuality, uh, dealing with sexuality and so on. Um, and, and we're getting into very complex territory here. And um, the, um, I mean, I I've explored this in some detail, 
But what I've always been looking for is a John Pilger or, or a Robert Fisk who would really delve into this and think, why aren't they there? Why is, why is this my job to do this? And, and there's that rather uneasy feeling of, well, you're the only one out there at the moment, Patrick, so just get on with it and shut up, you know? Um, but what I mean by that is th this hatred of the flesh, and it's a matter of, it's well recognised, the misogynistic nature of, of the uh, Catholic Church. You, you would, you could type in a few words and you would get um, reams of stuff about the um, negative role towards women. So when I tell you the next thing, uh, it, it's not as bizarre as it might at first seem. Although when the memories came up about it, um, it, it took me a while to really, uh, the only bits I can say with absolute certainty was that they, um, uh, they, they did a, what should we say, a, a negative, uh, a kind of denigration of, of femininity, of, 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 of women, uh, through Mary, St. Mary Magdalene, right? Um, uh, who was a prostitute. And uh, so that the, at this ceremony, uh, whatever it was, that I went to, and I have to ask myself uncomfortable questions like, how, how old was I and why would I be there? And uh, the answers are not, do not make me feel very comfortable. But it, you've got to imagine the atmosphere of a rugby club you know, where they, they're, they're all drinking and so on. It, it, it's not, it's not eyes wide shut in that sense. Um, but I'm pretty certain they hired a, a working girl. And the idea was to, to denigrate her and what she stood for. Um, now, that's the bit that I know with absolute certainty. In other words, if, you know, if I, I can swear on everything I believe in, that that bit is true. The next bit, I think, um, I think it had to have been an initiation ceremony of some sort. And, and that doesn't bear thinking about as well. And I always think to myself, why isn't anyone else writing about this? I mean, you know, this, this is not unique to Ipswich. I mean, um, Ipswich was a particularly bad place. Even today, it's on record as having the highest number of paedophiles in the country. It's the paedophile capital of the UK. So it's my bad luck to have been born into this awful place. Um, but something like that, it's, it's a very, it, it's, it's got its own spin. And I, I, think, I think with a lot of paedophilia, it, it isn't some, it, it's dressed up in very colourful theatrical uh, robes. Uh, probably not just the Catholic Church, they dr dress it up in other ways as well. And it's part of, I think, the awfulness of it, that they do that. Now, of course, if you're not, if you've blocked it all out and you're trying to remember it, you, you, you know, my first image was, was just like everybody else's. Oh, a, um, a paedophile is just some guy in a grubby raincoat who comes up, you know, don't speak to strangers in a park because they'll, they'll suddenly turn weird on you and drag you in the bushes. That was my image of what it is, but it's not. They have, um, uh, well, certainly the Catholic ones seem to have a very exotic, and I, and I don't really like using that word because it's far too complimentary, but a very colourful um, way of um, rationalising their, their, uh, their abuse and what it represents. And 
Um, of course, I mean, people do break ranks. And in the past, there are, there's all kinds of stories about them. Uh, but no one's broken ranks on this. In Germany, there are stories, uh, I say more than stories, news accounts of nuns acting as pimps for priests and so on. So that's, you know, that's an example of the kind of stuff that 20 years ago you would have said, oh, no, that's impossible. Nuns actually acting as, as pimps for priests and so forth. So it's a very small step from that kind of um, loathsome abuse to uh, the kind of things I'm talking about. And the um, celebration of Mary Magdalene um, was not unique. They had other um, weird things that they got up to. As you were talking, Pat, it reminded me of a documentary that was on maybe on Channel 4 about a decade ago where they showed you there were all these sex parties that were happening involving um, around Vatican City where they had priests attending these parties and there was undercover footage from these parties. So clearly there is this other life that goes on beneath what's portrayed out to society. But I think you, you've mentioned a couple of times about women. You mentioned also about women being abusive earlier. And I suppose I, wonder, I wondered how the role of women fitted in. You know, was it was it purely about turning a blind eye and and or you know enabling or were women actually involved in abusing themselves? Um, very actively involved. And um, that came as a, a real shock to me because my image um, from the from the 1950s was the Ladybird book image of uh, of women generally who are you know dutiful wives you know waiting with a uh, hot meal for hubby and they've got these carpet slippers there and everything and that was I mean you see it not just in Ladybird books it was there in movies as well if you look at any um, and then I think you, you really got to get to perhaps the beginning of the 60s where movies suddenly started portraying a different image of everyone, especially women. Um, and so when these memories came up, I found them uh, particularly uh, worrying. And I, and I think I resisted them, you know, because it's like, oh, for God's sake, you know, th th this is nonsense. I, why am I? And of course, also as a writer, as a writer of science fiction and fantasy, <laughs> I'd, I'd think to myself, what am I going to believe me? Because I, I write science fiction for a living. And um, I had to kind of get past that and realise it's not about, I don't care whether anyone else believes it or not. I have to get this poison out of my system. And the poisoning question, um, uh, there was some what you might call typical abuse as well. Um, but these women, the, and these are... Um, intelligent, uh, middle-class women, um, they were wedded to the idea of thwarting puberty. Um, uh, what, you, what one might call today politely aversion therapy. Now the exact nature of it, um, uh, I, I kind of thought about it and I've got a vague idea but um, and there's some records of aver Catholics are involved or have been involved with aversion therapy um, uh, in more recent times, like in I think in the 70s, uh, 
uh, it's a different thing, of course, um, a kind of crude early form of uh, uh, conversion therapy where um, this boy was gay and uh, his Catholic headmaster said, look, uh, if you agree to this electric shock treatment in hospital, um, then you can carry on going to school. That, that, that's a matter of record. So that gives you the, the, the kind of landscape. But these, uh, these characters, uh, and I say that in the plural, and, uh, it wasn't just one, they, the, the, the feeling that comes back, the, the memory that comes back is like, um, uh, it's like they, there was a rotor, they took it in turns and, and it was a routine. So it wasn't something that was necessarily very specifically aimed at me. Um, and um, I think it's I think it's actually about thwarting puberty. And the, the frustrating thing with this sort of thing is you have to turn yourself into a detective and say, you know, and ask yourself all those regular questions: who, when, where, how, why, and what. So, what was their motive? And was it because was it because, for example, I was acting out? So, if if you're, uh, which I think I did a bit of. In other words, if you've been abused and you're, you're, you're um, talking openly about it, they want to put the lid on that. So, but I think this was much more um, evangelical. It had more of a logic behind it. And um, uh, the, the hardest evidence for me is that uh, when I add up all my therapy bills, 50%, I, I was going to say 40, but I think it's probably closer to 50, 50% was um, processing all this stuff, uh, how I felt about it, because it's a tremendous betrayal, you know, of a, what one thinks in terms of uh, matriarchal figures as being trustworthy figures and so on. And so um, it, it was very hard to get rid of. And, and yeah, I spent more money on that than dealing with, uh, say, Father Wace, in, in putting it rather crudely, um, Father Waste would be maybe worth, let's say, three therapy sessions. These women would be maybe 10, maybe 15, something like that. Um, so I have to ask myself, why would I waste my money talking about imaginary women doing imaginary things to a child? Of course I don't. And uh, I'm very grounded. And there's enough circumstantial evidence to, to bear out the idea. This was widespread. It's a, I think it's... Um, a hangover from Victorian times. And even if you were to look at Victor the gruesome stuff that Victorians got up to with inhibiting sexuality, I mean, there isn't that much about it in print, but it carried on. It, it didn't just fade away in, so it, it carries on right through to the, to the 1960s. The, the most rabid example um, is um, Kellogg, as in Kellogg's uh, Cornflakes, uh, I think the film The Road to Wellville covered some of his, uh, but he was obsessed with um, denying um, self-pleasure and, and all that kind of stuff. And he, you know, all, all those kind of jokes that uh, we certainly had in my day about going blind and all the rest of it, that they all seem to have originated from him. Now, he wasn't a Catholic, but he's an indication of the way people thought. It didn't, this assumption that, oh, that was just the Victorians and they were bonkers. No, it carried on, 1910, 1920, 1930, and it was still around. Of course, today, um, I, I think they, um, 
um, I think obviously it would have, it, well, you, you would hope that it's gone away, but these things tend to manifest themselves in other forms like uh, conversion therapy, which uh, is now pretty much uh, banned in um, um, worldwide, I think. But the Catholic Church were very, very keen on it in the past. And knowing their devious and criminal nature, uh, my, my prediction would be they just give it a new name, give it a new style, make it seem, I don't know, hip and groovy and somehow the right thing today and just re relaunch it. It's a hatred of the flesh. Um, and I mean, if you consider um, uh, my aunt, um, very bright, lovely lady, um, and she would always say to me, just remember the trouble all began with Eve. Now that's such a sad thing to say about your own sex. You know what I mean? That you, you see yourself as somehow um, Eve-like in, in, a, in a negative and awful way. It's, it's denigrating yourself. So if you, put, if you put all that together and you imagine this uh, Feast of Mary Magdalene, it, it's an outlet for all this awful misogyny. And, and of course, these people aren't stupid. So they know that if they were to actually uh, say anything about it in public, um, that they would be pounced on and torn apart. So it goes, it just remains covert and hidden and under the surface. No, certainly um, in, in terms of your experiences of women, I've certainly worked with male prisoners who've described similar experiences of a lot of abuse by nuns um, that seem to be um, intent on, on inhibiting their emerging sexuality during during puberty but but moving on a bit Pat has that do you think the church has taken any responsibility for its role in historical sexual abuse I mean what what happened to X there was, was it's was, awful was that a, an opportunity for the Catholic Church to hold its hands up uh, it, it was well it's a I mean it, it's a terrible terrible story and um it's a roundly condemned the Catholic Church and Cardinal Nichols and um you know he, he's as he's as good as any actor he just came on screen and said yeah we're, we're, we're really going to you know we're really going to act on on what x has said and so forth and you would imagine you know the general public because we all want to be reassured don't we the nuclear bomb's not going to drop catholic church is going to sort itself out we we just want to feel safe so cardinal nichols is there this fatherly figure and he's saying yeah we're really we're really appalled by this absolute nonsense and the the proof of it the proof of it is um the um you have the head of catholic safeguarding um let me see what's his steve ashley and he wrote to me uh just a few weeks ago and this is what he said about ixa he said uh ixa was obviously put in place with the intention of dealing with this, this being historic abuse. But quite honestly, I think they were overwhelmed. And in the end, they presented their final report and it is difficult to know what it all achieved. Um, I don't know what the answer is. So if this is the head of the Catholic safeguarding, the CEO, 
if he's saying, I don't know what to do, um, which I would say on one level is quite pathetic, but at least it's honest. Um, so that's that's where we're at today. It's um, I'd say actually we are we are in a worse situation than Ixa because while Ixa was going on, at least there was for some people an element of a ray of hope. There was Ixa's going to sort things out, and uh, well, that's the view of the um, uh, head of Catholic safeguarding, that's the, the top dude, if you like. Um, and today, it's just in the in the papers today, uh, a report on Lambeth Palace, Church of England. And uh, I've only had a chance to uh, uh, scan the headlines of it, but it's the same kind of thing. It's it's uh, blistering in its criticism of of the Church of England, which which seems to be as bad as as, as the Catholic Church. If there's a league table, I think the Catholic Church is probably number one, but the Anglicans are just a just a tad behind. And probably just for any listeners, um, most people probably do know, but ICSA is the Independent Inquiry into Childhood Sexual, sexual Abuse. So, yeah, it's, uh, um, I, I don't, I mean, it's a bad situation. And if in terms of, uh, th there is no recourse. In other words, if, if you think that, anyone who has um, historic abuse they may be if they have what should we say really good networking or good contacts maybe they can break through but essentially they're not going to be able to um there is uh whether you're going to the police through uh police operation hydrant it's a busted flush um there is no uh there is one investigative element in, in the um uh, Catholic safeguarding, which um, has has not worked out as far as I can see, um, and so yeah, it's there's really nowhere to go other than to um, I think uh, uh, to focus on one's own self healing, and uh, I, I think things can work at a grassroots level, but I think institutions and organisations from Ixa downwards have really shown themselves to be. Uh, a waste of time and that sounds quite scary because I think we all want to think oh there's got to be you know we'll go to NAPAC or we'll go to Childline or something and they'll sort it out for us and I mean that's that was certainly my reaction when, when I first got into this but actually it, it, it's a bit chilling but it does um, it does make it has made me anyway become very self-reliant you've got to sort it out yourself if you're waiting for some charity to, to come to your aid or things like that, you might be lucky, but uh, the, the odds are against you. you. You're best to sort it out yourself in whatever way. And um, uh, I think the best advice I ever had was when I when I um, dealt with the first one, Callum Burroughs, uh, he with the, um, the Boggy's Milk stuff. Well, I, I went along to a therapist and uh, she was a lovely lady and she listened to me ranting and raving for uh, uh, several sessions. And she said to me, look, you can come along to me and you can you can talk about this man and all the awful things he's done and and so on. And, you know, or she said, you can do something about it. And uh, that was a game changer for me because I thought, 
well, what can I do about it? You know, because that's the thing we're, you know, we all want to be law abiding and, and, and so on. So what can I do about it? And what I did in this particular instance, um, um, I um, hired a private detective and uh, got him to uh, tell me where Cannon Burroughs was buried. And what I intended to do uh, was to go along with a spray can and uh, spray paedophile uh, or something like that. And I thought, well, if I, um, if I got arrested for it or whatever, yeah, that would be even better because I could, it would give me a platform to, to speak out in public about what he had done. Um, but in fact, just doing that was enough because I had power over him. So in theory, I could still do it uh, tomorrow. I've still got his details. Um, so I have the power over him. He no longer has the power over me. And I think that's the really important thing um, is we have to have power over them. They, they took away our power and we have to take it, take it back. And obviously, you, we all of us go through a period of ranting and raving about them. Um, um, but I think uh, justice or revenge, I, I mean, I'm actually happier with the word revenge, but um, I know it's not to everybody's taste. Um, you've got to do something about it. it. It may just be a very small thing. But what it's telling your soul, your subconscious, is that um, you're not taking this crap and that you're going to uh, resist. And um, uh, I, I've actually gone through the motions of talking to Catholic Safeguarding and, um, and one of their spin-off organisations and so on. Um, and I always knew there'd be a waste of space, but I felt I had to do it. Because otherwise, people, people endlessly, even now, they'll email me and they'll say, well, haven't you tried, why don't you try so-and-so? Why don't you try um, NAPAC? Or, you know, maybe they could help. And, well, maybe they could. But um, for the most part, I think we all, have to, we all have to take back our power as individuals and act in an individual way sometimes. Um, and that, I think... Well, it works for me anyway. Let's put it that way. That's good. Moving on from your own individual action, what would you like to see and what do you think the Catholic Church ought to be doing? The Catholic Church itself won't do anything because it, you know, it has, um, I, I think as, a, as an organisation, it is not what it appears to be. It, it's, um, it has a criminal element. So it would be like saying, you know, what would you expect the mafia to do? The mafia, the mafia are not gonna change and neither is the Catholic church. The, 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 the bad news is that uh, uh, the only way it could work, and this has been uh, talked about many times, is um, for an external agency to sort things out. And, and you know, it would need the equivalent of a, uh, um, uh, a, a Nuremberg war trial, you know, to to to, uh, to to look at all these things and try and make sense of them. It needs an independent organisation to say, right, turn over those files to us, do this, do that. ICSA um, didn't really tick that box. It was too uh, broad. And, and, and I think it just, you can see from that, that comment made earlier, that I think they got completely confused by... The, the sheer volume of, 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 of child abuse, which is, 
it was endemic in, in, in my era. I don't think I was particularly unique. Um, so the Catholic Church isn't going to do anything. The only thing it will respond to um, is force, um, naming and shaming, uh, the technique that I've used, has had some results, a lot of resistance to it, but it has had some results. Um, one of the other things uh, uh, that I would like to see happen, um, and I think the chances of it happening are thin, but I have to try it. And, and I think that's how my, my soul, if you like, uh, functions on this. As long as you keep trying things, it doesn't matter whether you win or lose. What I think is important is not to be a victim and just go, oh, poor me and blah, blah, blah. Um, but one of the things I would like to personally see happen is a victim impact statement. Now, if they were genuine and there, there are indications that there are small parts of the Catholic Church, individual religious orders that may have some merit, although we've become so cynical that most of my fellow survivors will say, no, no, you're just getting taken in by them. And, and they may be right. Um, but I would like to see um, victim impact statements where you have, let's say, a 30 minute Zoom call um, with, uh, in my case, it would be a Dallasar brother because I'd see them wearing the uniform with a, the, the funny dog collar they have and, and all that kind of thing. And actually to be able to say to him, look, this is what you did. This is what you did to me. And this is what you did to, to other uh, De La Salle uh, survivors. And um, what, do you, what do you have to say about that? And I, I laid out a case for saying that they didn't have to go, oh, we couldn't do that because on legal advice, we would be admitting guilt and all that kind of stuff. There, there's ways around that. Um, so I, that's what I would like to see happen. Um, there's a connection through NAPAC, uh, which actually deals with restorative justice. And I don't know, I've, I've got to uh, write a follow-up to them. Um, it's possible they can help, even though the Dallas on the particular cases that, uh, that I'm talking about have not actually been convicted. Um, and of course, if they were convicted, you almost don't need restorative justice because you can say, well, they got banged up um, or they, they got heavily fined or whatever it is. Um, but there may be a way forward there because that's the thing that we actually want to meet um, our abusers. And obviously, in my case, um, they're all dead. But to see that a modern day representative, that would be good enough. In other words, to say to him, you are a representative, you are the new provincial of the Dulles order. And these are the terrible things that happened. I know you're not responsible, but I want you to feel um, what, what I went through. And, uh, and I think that would work for, uh, for many people. Uh, there are critics amongst survivors who say, no, that's a bad idea because it could be very triggering and because the Catholic Church is so devious, it could use it as an excuse for getting themselves off the hook in uh, litigation and, and so on. So, you know, I've kind of opened it up as a discussion document. I'm not saying it's, a, and it, they probably won't do it because, um, I mean, underneath their external veneer, which is one of extreme passive aggression, which doesn't earn them brownie points with survivors when you get very curt 
passive aggressive responses from them. It just makes you quite angry. Um, but I think underneath that, they're probably terrified. They're probably embarrassed, uh, feel guilty as hell. Um, so it, it, it's just to being able to connect with them as human beings and say, well, look, it wasn't you and maybe your order is okay today, but can you please prove that by showing some penance for, for what your predecessors did? Well, even, even though you wouldn't, you might not be meeting with the actual individuals. I think what you're, what you've, you know, spent most of the conversation talking about is the, the betrayal of the organisation and how you've been let down by the organisation, the organisation's failure to challenge, the organisation's complicitness, complicity with with what happened to you, and so actually there is something about the organisation taking responsibility I think and you know you can certainly see restorative justice can work well at an individual level but you know your, your idea of, of seeking restorative justice from an organisation you know that it seems like there's little other hope for any sense of justice for people who've been so so badly hurt. Yeah it would church. it would seem I think that's actually how it will play out um and I, and I think the Dulles in particular have, have a very, very bad record. Um, what, uh, I mean, this might be the eternal optimist in me, but there was a, um, uh, I think it's the Carmelites. There was a case in Dublin, um, I think just about a week ago. It was uh, uh, Ireland's worst um, uh, religious uh, paedophile. Um, and uh, the Carmelites, were the complete polar opposite of the Dallasars. They put their hands up and they said, you know, reading their um, response to the media and everything, I thought, why can't we have this in the UK? In other words, they're saying, look, we got it wrong. We're, gonna, we're going to institute um, uh, 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 financial uh, compensation um, and an opportunity for survivors to meet uh, um, Carmelites. Now, uh, there's the, so we have, I think, particularly after Ixa, I think everyone has become very, very cynical. I mean, Ixa, you know, all those different changes of uh, the head and all the long delays and all the rest of it. So, you know, you have to take on board that cynicism. And one cynic said to me, no, the, the, the Carmelites are just better at it than the Dallasals. Um but there's a little bit of me that thinks, well, even if you've got to fake it to make it, that, that's better than better than nothing. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, it's a journey, isn't it? It's a uh, um, it's just an awareness that we're dealing with um, abuse is concerned. Um, we really are in the Stone Age. You know, it's not like, oh, we're on the on the, you know, things are really happening now and and everything's going to be so much better. Um, currently. I think it's worse than than it was uh, before Ixa, because before Ixa there was there was hope, there was a feeling of well we as survivors can really make a difference, and the Catholic Church has is effectively um, defeated us. I mean, you have to put our hands up to this. They uh, they no longer look at uh, historic abuse. Uh, it has to be the last two years. So if you've got some kid who's uh let's say 20 something now and something happened to him when he was 15 or 16 which isn't very long ago too late too late no it can't be dealt with um and 
they're all and, and the other thing is they're all part-timers <laughs> which gives you an idea of how little money is being pumped into this they're, they're part-timers who do this job uh and in the at a diocese level uh they're volunteers uh, which of course in itself is disturbing because what it means is if you were to go to your your local diocese and say well look uh, this priest uh, abused me let's say uh 20 years ago or whatever um or the or the knights of saint Columba or whoever it was um you're you're talking to someone who's probably got some kind of um qualification in social work of some description otherwise they wouldn't be volunteering but i doubt very much they are specifically qualified and trained uh for this very uh very kind of work and what's worse is they're in the same diocese so they may well know father bill or uh night jones or whoever they they may well know these guys and there is that um that loyalty that all of us have to our local community uh, i live in a village and if something happened here and there was an outsider my first loyalty intuitively instinctively would be to the village and then i'd have to think afterwards no actually i'm wrong you know uh it was the villager who was who was the problem not the outsider but my natural instinct is is you protect your own community um and that's that's so obvious and of course these are intelligent people they know this and um they, they've won um and the only way we can if you like defeat them i think is so say on this personal grassroots level um you know each of us fighting back in our own individual way rather than waiting for some charity to come along and sort it out for us So we've come to the end of time, really, Pat. So just, um, in, just in terms of that, you know, thinking about that lack of hope now, Ix has been and gone. How how are you managing to keep yourself positive and, um, you know, keep looking forward in um, relation to all well, of this? I, I I I sometimes feel kind of privileged in a way, um, in as much as I'm very aware from all sorts of for all sorts of reasons, that this is part of my life path. This is what I'm stuck with. Um, so it's no good complaining about it. Do you know what I mean? Um, it, it's part of who I am. And I know that, you know, I have to bring the, the skills I have uh, to, to try and help myself and also help others. Um, and um, so it, it's a journey. And then the other thing is, I mean, in life, awful things gonna happen in one way or another. You know, in, in another family, it might be some awful physical illness. Uh, in, a, in a different family, it might be, um, I don't know, huge mon monetary worries or something. So, you know, something's gonna get you. <laughs> and, and, you know, um, so I'm kind of philosophical on that level. Um, and even on another level, um, which used to be true, it's not quite so true today. Um, I, I used to write, all my stories were about these people. I mean, uh, I wrote um, at least 10 long running serials, some of which are still around today, um, about science fiction nights, based obviously on the Knights of St. Columba. Well, I think writing 10 is pretty close to an obsession, but what it does mean is that, um, um, I've managed to turn lead into gold 
And as I say, I feel privileged there that I've been able to do that. So if, for example, I dug up some other wretched memory um, uh, tomorrow, the chances are I'd be saying to myself, ah, maybe I can turn this into a story. And, and I feel privileged when I say that because some other person who's, what should we say, he's an accountant, he or she is an accountant. And they get these awful memories. Well, they, they can't do anything with them in that way. There isn't that. But I, I think creative people do try to find ways, whether it's um, through writing stories, music, you know, art therapy, or, or, or you know, you look at a lot of uh, great artists and you think, what was driving them? So I, I think it's just making people aware that you, you don't have to be um, a victim on this stuff, that there's ways you can, and every way is uniquely tailored to each of us as individuals. It, it doesn't seem to have that um, team element that, that perhaps would make it easier. Thank you very much, Pat. Thank you. It's really, really good talking to you both. It was, uh, uh, and I loved your questions, which are excellent. Uh, really giving me stuff to reflect back on. So thank you for that. Thanks, really. Good to uh, meet with you, Pat, and to have this conversation. Curiously, I uh, noticed your cat <laughs> coming yeah, downstairs at the beginning and going upstairs at the end. <laughs> Very good sense of timing. Sorry, what were you saying, Naomi? Well, I was, as you were talking, Pat, the thing that I really think is um, would have actually be really valuable to be writing up all your observations about the organisational structural elements of, of the abuse within the Catholic Church actually because I think probably what happens is a lot of therapists work with people who've been abused within the Catholic Church but see it as dealing with individual perpetrators rather than thinking about what it's like to be um, abused as part of a big system in such a way um, and I think there'd be something really valuable um, about writing up your observations. I, I think you're right it's there's probably um, one of those diagrams that you often see where politics are concerned where you see all these different organizations that control the United States presidency or something and um, yeah I've got an uneasy feeling that such such a, a, a diagram doesn't exist where the Catholic Church is concerned that they're, they're they've managed to go completely under the radar and um yeah it's probably something that, that probably does need expressing in that way is the because the interrelationship for example between uh, a religious order in the uk and the vatican and where the money goes um yeah i mean i i think i could probably do a tentative uh, version and at some point i will attempt it but someone else said to me uh words to the effect that what was actually really needed was a forensic accountant. In other words, a, a detective with accountancy skills, because you've got to uh, do a deep dive through the, uh, the different charitable statuses, which allow them not to pay tax on, on things they should be paying tax on, like uh, Buckfast Tonic Wine is a part of a charity. And, uh, um, and where does the money eventually end up? I mean, those are things none of us know it's uh, and we're all surprisingly not very curious for the most part i mean i wouldn't have been were it not for this particular 
uh, you know, series of events that happened to me. I mean, most of us think, well, where, how's that working? Why have they got all that land over there? And who do the, who do the rents go to? And, and all those kind of things. But where politics or similar things are concerned, you know, journalists are really, really on the ball, aren't they? They'll say, oh, you know, Cameron's got interests in this and that and Boris Johnson's connected with so on. But um, where, where re religion is concerned, um, it's like they've just completely, you know, hidden under the radar. They're just not there. See that. You end up underneath Waterloo Bridge if you inquire too deeply. <laughs> yeah, well, ex exactly. I mean, how does that connect, for example, to um, all the other aspects? You know, you, you've got those. Um, I mean, I, I've read those various books about God's banker and all that kind of stuff, but they don't really connect all, all the pieces. And uh, somebody should, um, whether I'll ever have the time to do it myself or not, um, uh it's it, it's it's on my to-do list let's put it that way so I'll, I'll i'll take that on board yeah i'm sorry we've um we've met you to discuss such a dark subject pat but i have to say your uh, your approach to finding ways to get back your power and um keep looking forward and being positive and tackling the abuse of authority figures is, is very inspirational and really enjoyed having a conversation with you today. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much.